0: AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council. In tough economic times, it's good to remember that agriculture is one of America's bright spots. That's true at home, and it's true internationally. The United States is the world's top agricultural exporter, with over $135 billion in exports last year. Those exports supported more than one million jobs at home. The U.S. Grains Council is one of the leaders of the U.S. Ag Export Team. It operates in over 50 countries to develop markets for U.S. corn, sorghum, barley, and co-products. Winning those markets is a team effort. The Council partners with the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service to get the job done. That partnership, by the way, is just one more of the many programs that depend on the reauthorization of the Farm Bill. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Shirley Bloomfield, welcome to AgriPults Open Mic.
1: Thank you very much. I'm delighted to join you today.
0: I'd like to find out more about the Rural Broadband Association as it's evolved from the wired telephone communications era Uh, today we take for granted that there's going to be basic telephone service but most of us want cell phone service and high speed internet communications as really our top priorities so what needs to be done to bring rural america up to a par with urban areas as we move into this digital age
1: Well, Ken, I think it's a fascinating question to start off with given that, you know, we are actually doing this discussion ourselves on a landline phone, and part of that is because of the the call quality. So I I think, you know, when people start talking about, you know, where is the future of landline service versus wireless service, um, I think there's a lot of different things that you've got to tee up. Um, One of which is probably the most important is the fact that you can't actually access a wireless network without a wired infrastructure. Um, It's kind of a philosophy that we call wireless needs wires. Um, When you are using your cell phone, the signal doesn't travel from one cell phone to another. It literally travels um, to a tower where it rides through either a fiber network or a copper network to that next cell tower. So regardless, that infrastructure that is um, out in these rural areas continues to have a strong need for the wired network, particularly is you start looking at, you know, consumers and what they want. And, you know, rural consumers want the exact same services that urban consumers want. And, um, you know, it, that takes a lot of data. You know, you look at things like Netflix or you look at the things like the capacity for a rural hospital to transmit medical records. You can't do those over a wired list network at this point the capacity simply isn't there so I think what rural residents really want is they want um, they want redundant networks they want the ability to use the mobility factor when it works for them and they want the ability to have the high capacity that you get with a wired network so um, it's the same services that people in urban America have and so I, I think. That what you're seeing right now is really an effort to ensure that there is parity, that the rural economy has the same opportunities to grow with infrastructure that you know we do here in the Washington D.C. area, and and that's why I think you know when I look at at um, what needs to be done, I think there's a lot of initiatives underway. I think one of the things that's been very important has been the emphasis the last several years on how do you continue to, you know, deploy broadband in rural America? How do we continue to look at high data networks into rural America? And how do we get urban consumers to realize that that network is more valuable the more high-capacity users you've got connecting to it? So, you know, I I think that gives us both a, a little bit of a technology push that we need to be working on and certainly a messaging push so that people understand why rural Americans also need access to broadband services.
0: Let's take the high road here on what your members want to do to help connect rural areas with business and education, health care, and government services. Could you give us any information on advancements in rural connectivity over the past few years?
1: Absolutely. We we track this very carefully because every year we do a broadband survey of our membership. We now have about 900 um, community-based providers, communications providers. So we reach out to them every year to kind of track what are they doing and where are their investments going. And, you know, for example, um, in 2009 we had asked how many of them were offering fiber to the home to a portion of their customer base. And Fiber to the Home is a very high-capacity network. It allows you to to literally do, you know, the movie streaming and um, the incredibly fast downloading and and high capacity. So in 2009, we found that 59% of our carriers were offering Fiber to the Home to some portion. Uh, We found that in 2011, that number went up to 64%. And our latest results um, of our last survey showed that just about three-quarters or about 74% of them are now offering fiber to the home. So, again, we're able to kind of see how, you know, that, that amount of fiber in the network has been growing. And where that becomes really important to your question about how do you then use it to connect your rural communities, um, that is when you start looking at what are your anchor institutions, like your hospitals and your libraries and your schools, and connecting those anchor institutions really becomes a catalyst for connecting the rest of your community, and, and it, it brings the broadband out to your small businesses. It allows you to do things like telemedicine and healthcare monitoring, aging in place, things that you know we can use that technology um, to ensure that a rural resident doesn't have to travel three hours to a teaching hospital where they can do a lot of their diagnostic work at home, and. You know, we also have found the capacity is is only increasing and the application is being more widespread on distance learning. How do you use the same kind of capacity to, in a rural school where you may have one language teacher or one advanced calculus teacher, and to be able to get kids who are already technology way more proficient than adults tend to be, using that technology to get access to some of the coursework they may not be able to have, so... We have definitely seen a jump over the past three years. Um, we are actually, you know, and it, you, you mentioned energy use. You know, the whole initiative on smart grid, I think, has got a huge potential for rural America. How do we use our energy wisely? So, um, we are actually working with our partners in the electric utility industry to 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 work with them on the broadband capacity that our telcos have out there instead of having these electric utilities, recreate the wheel. Um, These markets aren't big enough to support two broadband networks. How do we create one robust broadband network and, and try to ride as many different services on that as possible?
0: Looking at issues that your members are facing, one seems to be call completion. I'm not really sure what that means. I know what call drop means on my cell phone, and I don't like it. Your group recently supported a resolution on call completion, and it had 13 senators signed on. What other actions are needed to make sure that rural residents can get their calls?
1: Sure, and so let me go back, Ken, and just start off with, you know, what is call completion? Um, it is well, it is an issue that has arisen in the last couple of years, whereby, by um, as, as carriers have moved away from providing long-distance service, and, you know, there have been the traditional folks out there, AT&T, Level 3, some of those folks who have been willing to carry that traffic. The cost of carrying traffic into rural areas is more expensive because, in part, you're going over a lot of distance and a lot of land without um, a lot of residents and a lot of consumers and businesses to support that that cost of that extra distance that you're going. So... What folks are doing is, if I'm originating a call here in Washington, D.C., and let's say I'm calling one of our, our folks out in western North Dakota, um, that call, once it leaves my network here, is searching for you know a carrier who has is, who is signed an agreement to do the routing for that call. Well, there's entities that have popped up in the last few years called least-cost routers, and they basically offer discount deals to take that call and terminate it at the end phone number that you've just dialed. Well, part of the problem is halfway through the call, these least-cost routers are saying, you know what, I'm not getting paid enough to carry this traffic into this remote rural area, and they drop the call. They literally drop the call. And what we are finding is this problem is pervasive enough that it's impacting almost 25% of the calls that are terminating into rural America or attempting to terminate into rural America. I actually was part of a, a testbed myself where I made 200 calls into um, my rural communities and found that I was pretty much on par that 25% of my calls either went into dead space, no signal, constant busy signal. And you start to think of the implications of that for a rural business that suddenly just because you live in a rural area and some carrier is deciding, you know, that is, again, a a least-cost router is deciding not to terminate that call, you're losing business, you've got public safety issues. I have um, I have a cooperative in western North Dakota who's providing um, support to the oil companies out there, you know, probably the biggest growth boom in our country right now is out in the western Dakotas with, with the oil. They're they're not getting their calls terminated into um, for the oil company. And so the oil executives are, you know, looking at what can we do, how can we get engaged on the policy front. So it is one of those issues where, you know, we just need the federal government to intervene to say, this is wrong. If you're going to take a call, you must complete the call. It's kind of like Telecom 101. Um, So it is one of those issues where it almost seems ridiculous that we've actually had to get Congress involved in it but we have been unable to get the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, to do enough on the enforcement side to put an end to it. And, you know, we simply watch it from an outside perspective, thinking it's going to take an emergency, it's going to take a tragedy. I don't know what we can do to highlight it, but it is absolutely impacting public safety and the economics of rural communities right now.
0: Ms. Bloomfield, moving on to other areas that your organization is addressing You've launched a Smart Rural Community Initiative. What does a smart rural community look like from the communications perspective?
1: This is an initiative, Ken, that we are really, really excited about. Um, You know, we really started thinking about what does it really take to create a community that is vibrant, that is a great place to live, that has, you know, a lot of different business opportunities and a lot of different services. And, you know, we started, we've been working very closely with a lot of outside groups. Uh, We've been, you know, working with the American Telemedicine Association and the Grange and Farmers Union and organizations concerned with rural education, IBM, the Veterans Administration, the Electric Cooperative, and it really came down to the ability to tap a broadband network. So, in a lot of ways, you know, I I think the broadband is the brain of what makes a smart rural community you get that infrastructure in there, and how do you start doing e-government? How do you start doing some really interesting telemedicine initiatives? So we have been kind of looking around the country and working with our members to really kind of showcase um, the folks who have been out there and really been trailblazers and really have worked with their communities. Part of this is, you know, my carriers out there in rural America are doing some great stuff with the fiber and the plant they've got in the ground, They've also got wireless, they're doing video services, but how do we create a culture where my telco walks to the local healthcare provider and says, what do you need? What can we do to create some great infrastructure out here? And then goes over to the, to the school or to the local community college and says, how can we put you online? How can we think more creatively about the applications that make sense for you? same for the farmers, same for the small business owners. So we're really kind of trying to highlight best practices, showcase those um, communities where they've really come together to create some, some terrific initiatives. And we've been working very closely with USDA on this, and I'm really excited about the fact that um, they have now put out a uh, uh, request to all of their 50-state uh Economic development directors to host a smart rural community roundtable discussion between now and the end of the year. Again, that gets those people together on the state level to have those discussions. Um, so I, because I think together it's gonna, it's gonna be a community having to come together to say, we want to be smart. We want, we want to start figuring out how to be more efficient, how to make sure that our, our citizens have access to 21st century technology.
0: Recently, the farm bill was voted down in the House of Representatives, and I wonder how much that affects you, of not having a farm bill when it contains elements of rural development and communications.
1: Yeah, it is huge, and um, I actually did not attend the rural assembly this morning where Secretary Vilsack spoke, but I, I, I think he is such a strong messenger for rural America, and you know, I think you know, his reaction was, look, don't just be disappointed. You've got to be really mad. This is, you know, the Farm Bill is critical to the future of rural America. From our perspective, we've got some RUS lending programs that are very critical to our telcos. That's how they are able to access some um, capital and financing. They're, it's not easy for my folks to go to a local bank or they certainly don't go to Wall Street for any financial support. So those loan programs are all wrapped up in the Farm Bill um, in terms of the authorization. You know, you roll back to 1949, there is no recognition of broadband, obviously. So, you know, there's special broadband initiatives, funding initiatives that are included in that Farm Bill. Um, without that authorization, those programs and that support goes away. So, again, I think it is so critical that this sector of America becomes more proactive Um We gotta work to make rural cool. We gotta make, you know, work to make sure that people all across the country understand that, you know, rural America provides a great deal of support to this country and, and why it's, why it's relevant. This isn't, you know, this shouldn't be a just check the box and move on type of initiative. So I am hopeful that in the next couple of months we'll be able to get folks activated and, um, get them engaged with their members of Congress and, frankly, almost more importantly, start working with those urban members of Congress to educate them, you know, what rural America actually provides to the country as a whole. And I think it's that piece that we just need to do more work on connecting folks with. It's very relevant in telecommunications. Again, it goes back to, you know, the network is only as valuable as getting that farmer to get their, you know, be able to do their trades and sell their goods using an online service you know, and how that connects into the benefits that urban Americans get to take advantage of every day.
0: One thing about rural America is the sparsity of people. You don't have many customers per mile. Does this make it like the concept of the original rural electric cooperatives, that government has to be a part of the overall solution to serving those people who choose to live in rural America? How does government figure into addressing your members' needs and to the residents who need communication so they can produce at their highest level?
1: You know it is a great it is a great you know issue that you've teed up, and yes, absolutely you know what market forces where so as an example i've got you know on average my customer my my telcos provide service to about four or five customers per mile of wire here in washington d c you know, the average is about 300 customers or so per mile of wire. That wire costs the exact same amount to service, to um, put that plant in the ground in in Washington, D.C., as it does in rural America. The difference is you've got a lot fewer people who are spreading that cost among them. So some of these issues, you know, you simply cannot rely fully on market forces. You know, we we started off the discussion today talking about cellular service in in rural America, Um, You know, some of those services are are hard to justify. You know, what, what happens with competition? The reason we are not losing probably as many customers in rural America to wireless service, of which our telcos also offer... Um, is because you don't have a lot of competition in there. You know, the big companies aren't looking to get into those markets. They want to make sure that they're dominant in Chicago and New York and San Francisco. So those dollars aren't flowing into rural America. And that is why things like the RUS lending program is so critical. Things like the universal service support mechanisms are so important. My folks are incredibly highly regulated, and they are willing to be regulated for the sake of having some of those support mechanisms that basically offset and recognize the fact that it's just a lot more expensive to do the same thing in in rural America as it is to do it in urban America. And how do you equalize that? And how do you make sure that um, we're treating all of our citizens, you know, with equal respect and opportunity?
0: Shirley Bloomfield from the Rural Broadband Association. Thank you for your information and for being our guest.
1: It was a pleasure, and I I look forward to working with you again in the future.
0: AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by the U.S. Grains Council. I'm Ken Root.